0: Welcome to The Property Wolf, a podcast that delivers news, insights, and practical how-to tips for investors in the South African property market. Here is your host, Kat Wolf. Today,
1: I welcome Hans Zacher who uh, is talking to us as the Head of Emerging Markets at TransUnion Africa. And uh, we're going to have a discussion today around how credit records or how credit is being affected across the commercial sector. Welcome back, Hans. It's really great to have you again.
0: Thanks, Kat. Uh, Good to be here. Good to chat again.
1: So, I think businesses are really doing, they, they, they're taking a big knock right now. And uh, I, I know as a business owner myself, I'm doing cartwheels to uh, figure out um, how I'm going to pay staff. And everything else is just kind of been put on the back burner and um, making um, arrangements wherever else I can not to pay any other bills and just make sure my staff get paid. Is this something that, that you're seeing across the board? What does the commercial market look like right now?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, absolutely. I think um, with the economy essentially shut down and a very short list of, of essential services, uh, I, I mean, a lot of our commercial entities are, are really hurting. Um, so if you look at, um, you know, I think banking is still operating in part, um, healthcare, uh, food production is, is still operating, uh, the telcos in terms of servicing, but, but every, everyone's taking strain and And I think the most strain is you know is being felt in in those sectors that aren 't operating uh, it 's a function of how much economic activity is actually taking place in those sectors as well as in the in the smme space um, you know i think the the big companies have have you know safety margins they, they have buffers uh, if they 've come into this with a strong balance sheet um, you know they 're finding ways of and mechanisms. Uh, to navigate the storm, uh, but in the SME space, uh, you know, if you were if you were living uh, hand to mouth um, and cash flow was king, uh, you're in, in in a difficult spot. So I know we spoke last time about um, you know GDP contraction of about four um, percent, I- inflation sort of uh, knocking on the door of about ten percent, um, and and that's that's an incredibly tough environment for for any any organisation to to operate within. Uh, Where, you know, largely it's consumer driven, and the consumers are under so much pressure. So there's just uh, so uh, so much less business to go around. Mm.
1: I mean, so in commercial property, from a commercial property perspective, we kind of divide the market into retail, office, and industrial. Um, and across those three sectors, I, th- I think that it's um, it, it's a no-brainer that retail's the, the the most badly affected because there's no way that any retail, unless you're in uh, essential services, uh, there's no way that you're making any money. Um, between uh, industrial and and office types of businesses what are you seeing the the, the fall off there? What's being the most badly affected?
0: Maybe maybe just to make one comment on retail and then shift. You Mm -hmm. know, I think, you know, retail has been under significant pressure from online retail, from digital retail. Um, You've even seen things like, uh, you know, Standard Bank closing, you know, multiple branches because Mm -hmm. everything's been moving online. And, you know, to to your point, I think if you're in traditional retail and you're not in the food space, uh, which is pretty much the only thing that's still operating, uh, I mean, it's an incredibly difficult time. And I think uh, COVID has caught a lot of our uh, retailers on the back foot. Um, We've already seen the likes of Edcon um, pretty much signaling to the market that this may be the end of them um you know very weak balance sheets coming in very difficult to to move, but also haven't done enough to create that trading platform in the online space so so you know I think you know this this may be, uh you know accelerate the the move to to online retail which means um you know a lot more space in the market so if you look at the um the commercial space um you know so the industrial or the or the uh, you know non-retail office kind of space i, I think we're going to see an equally uh, impactful change uh perhaps in a different way you know i think if you think about uh work from home um you know, I think a lot of a lot of companies have uh, been caught napping by this uh, by this uh, particular disaster, um, and haven't had their sort of business continuity plans in place. And work from home has to be has had to be put in quite rapidly. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think you know a couple of weeks in, uh, a lot of people are starting to figure out how to work from home. That's that's creating a new normal, yeah. and I think for a lot of our our sort of um, our business leaders out there—they're asking themselves real questions about when this lockdown ends. Do they still need the same office space that they that they used to have? Um, I think in the sort of industrial manufacturing sectors, um, you know, if you're looking at a sort of a GDP contraction of four uh, to six percent, um, do you still need the same amount of floor space to produce your goods and services? Um, you know, there may be some inevitable downsizing. So, so I think across both those sectors in the property space, um, you, you know, I, I think the, the needs have changed, the requirements have changed. And, and you may see uh, a shift towards, you know, downsizing smaller footprints in, in line with the sort of uh, the industrial and the office requirements, given that there, there's less work to do in the manufacturing space. And perhaps we've learned a little bit about working from home going forward as well. Mm.
1: It's very interesting. The the commercial property space tends to, and uh, this has been changing in the last couple of years, but just generally and particularly with the big corporates, we we tend to see long-term leases. Um, So, I mean, up until a few years ago, um, landlords didn't really want to do any deals under three years um with m- m- more deals, m- more comfortable deals being done at five years. Um, and although that's changing, it, it, we're still seeing a lot of um, commercial tenants who've got long-term leases. So they may not have an immediate option to just change their business model, downsize their space, and let their staff work from home. So wh- wh- how, how do we see commercial tenants start to navigate that space? Because I totally agree with you. I think that we are going to start to see more work from home. But in the short term, at least, I've still got this very big rental bill to pay that maybe I'm not using anymore. So how do I navigate that?
0: So I think, I mean, necessity is the mother of all invention. And I think with all businesses being under pressure, um, you know, a a lot of the decision is going to become, what do I pay? Uh, do I pay my staff? Uh, do I pay my suppliers? Um, or do I pay my rent? And, you know, I, I guess a good precedent is the Edcon situation where you saw, you know, the the leadership of Edcon going to the markets, going to their supplier base and saying, and this was months ago, this was before COVID even found them, uh, and renegotiating uh, the rental agreement, you know, with the, the basic is I can't pay all of this and I can't pay all of you and, uh, you know, something's got to give. So, you know, I think if you look at the commercial space, uh, I mean, there is some relief on the paying of staff. Um, so there's been a number of funds set up and, uh, and some, you know, some help from government, some help from the private sector to kind of lessen that burden. Um, and then, obviously, the the, the retrenchment discussions are, are starting to happen. So, you would have seen over the weekend, SAA um, offering retrenchment to all its staff, and and you're probably going to see a lot of those announcements going forward. So, once you've once you've looked at your staff costs, um, the the next the next discussion has to be, you know, my cost of operating the business, right? Which is my my rental and my supplier costs. Um, you know, when, when it comes to supplier costs, I mean, that, that's the lifeblood of your business. If you, if you can't pay your suppliers, they will, they will stop servicing you and you will not be able to trade. Right. Mm. Um, so a lot of discussions will happen in that space in terms of renegotiating, uh, those supplier terms and the likes. Um, and then the rental conversation will inevitably happen after that, right. Uh, or even part of that where, I think, you know, as, as property landlords, um, you know, the overall margins, the overall rental revenues are gonna become increasingly under pressure. Um, and a real decision has to be made that um, yes, you know, somebody may have a long term lease, but they are inevitably going to be paying me less unless I want to involuntary churn out of that base and, and end up in a default thing. Um, so how do I come up with an arrangement? Um so I think those those um those contracts that you know seem to be ironclad, seem to be enforceable in the past, uh, are gonna cut co- you know, they start going they're gonna start looking very debatable when it's a choice of getting a lower rental volume and perhaps sectioning of that space or having no rental at all. Mm.
1: And again, coming down to what we've spoken about before, um Securing existing revenue streams, strengthening the relationships that we've got with our tenants already and seeing what we can do to help each other because, um, the, the risk of, 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 yes, maybe my tenant defaults and I can go after them legally, but, um, but, but the cost of that is massive and the cost of vacancy is even more massive, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, in a commercial default, uh, you know, should it go into liquidation? I mean, most people know this. You you get cents in the rand in terms of what you recover. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really about you know uh, extracting as much possible uh, value as possible. But but I think generally, you know, the other the other point I'd make is that you know when you if you've got a large base of of suppliers or creditors or tenants in this case. Um, you know, the, the rules have changed, right? So you may have people on your book, your favorite uh, tenants. Um, they've been tenants of yours for, for 20, 30 years. Uh, but all, all that kind of uh, faith that we used to have in the market is, is pretty much out the window. I mean, people that you never thought would have defaulted may actually be those defaulters in, in, in the future. And, and the interesting thing about commercial, which is quite different from consumer, Is that in the commercial and you call it that we call it the trade credit space? Trade credit is completely unregulated. Um, So, what that means is, you know, in the consumer world where you know every loan you take and your performance of that that loan is reported to the central bodies, i.e., the bureaus, in the trade credit space, uh, that doesn't exist. So, it's a voluntary submission of various organizations in terms of what they actually provide to the bureaus for, for understanding the, the credit rating of any particular consumer. And if you couple that with a lot of um, trade credit agreements are 30-, 60-, 90-day payment terms, you may be in a situation where you actually only understand the defaults in your base three, you know, three six months after the, the, problem, the problems actually occurred. So you don't actually have upfront view of whether your customer base is getting in distress or not, right? Um, And the challenge is that a tenant can uh, essentially default on your uh, particular rental agreement, uh, particularly in the smaller space, uh, walk across to another property agent and do exactly the same thing to them. And you wouldn't know. And obviously the, the opposite is true, is that somebody can default on their... Commercial agreement, rental agreement down the road, and then they can come to you and do exactly the same thing. So, so I think the you know what this what this tells landlords in the commercial space to do is is it be a lot more rigorous around your vetting process and, and being a lot closer to your base. Um, given that the lag in the in the defaults is so much higher, and the visibility of the defaults is is, is also so so much less, it's about really understanding what's happening in your base, being close to that base. Um, and uh, in that world, there, there's, there's the, the concept of the closed user groups. So a lot of industries get together and they, they agree to club their data together, um, You know they trade data so that they can understand what's going on in the market. But I think for a long time the property market, um, the commercial property market, has not participated in those groups. Um, so even more exposed than perhaps other industries in really understanding what's what's going on in the base, um, and you know just protecting themselves from those defaults that that are that are coming along.
1: Oh, that's interesting, and, and I suppose also doing um, a proper due diligence on the tenant, picking up the phone and speaking to um, suppliers and um, and previous landlords and and chatting to them and seeing what kind of person you're dealing with um, to to cover yourself properly here.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's it's all the factors, right I mean make sure the contract is flexible enough in, in your favor. Um, to allow you to renegotiate uh, as well as providing as, as well as the tenant coming to you it's um, you know a lot of uh, uh, you know a lot of property companies do not use uh, commercial credit reports right uh, but I think pulling those as a matter of course and providing the results of your credit only helps the industry right so if everyone provides their trade data back to the credit providers it protects the industry at large against um, you know perhaps unscrupulous uh, tenants going forward and then absolutely it's about phoning those references um, understanding you know doing more due diligence uh, site visits checks uh, bank verification all, all those kind of things. Um, so if you were if you were spending an hour vetting, it's got to be doubled. It's got to be two hours, and, and pulling all those levers to make sure that you're not getting yourself into a bad situation with your next tenant. Mm.
1: So, on that note, what uh, because when you get into bed with a tenant, you're really getting into bed with the industry that they're in. And if the, if the industry, if that segment of the industry is going through a hard time, then it's likely that your tenants is also going to go through a hard time. So are, are there certain sectors that you feel are more recession proof besides the obvious ones like like food and health care? Um, what are the what are the sectors should we be staying away from and uh, or sectors should we be going after as landlords?
0: Yeah, so I mean, and having said that, it's uh, it's not easy for a landlord to reconfigure. You know, uh, it's very difficult to make a factory into an office park. Um, but but I mean, if you if you just look at the uh, the industries that are weathering the storm incredibly well, um, it's um, things like your technology type industries are, are doing incredibly well, and and you see you're going to see that demand increase. Um, you you can see your sort of uh, your food um, type providers, either the production thereof or or the retail is obviously um, you know still operating quite well as an essential service. Uh, you see those those things going going up, but uh, I think pretty much everything else is is struggling. Um, you know I think there's probably only a few more outliers in terms of gold is re- hitting record highs. Uh, but then, after that, uh, if you're looking at anything in the logistics industry, um, where goods and services are moving around, that that's taken a huge knock. Uh, retail, as we've spoken about, in a very difficult position. Mm-hmm. Um, manufacturing is 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 also gonna is also going to be quite hard hit as consumer demand decreases. Um, you're seeing um, your your automotive, your OEM providers, your your car dealerships essentially shutting down uh, you know uh, and shifting most of their focus towards uh, servicing and repairs versus mm-hmm. new sales so you're seeing the, that shift happening um, and, and I think you know most most of the rest are, are obvious um, your your luxury services um, you know anything you know that's providing something to uh, the first default uh, of, a, of a consumer. I mean, that's that's going to take the first hit. So I think you know the simple answer is um, stick with what's essential. Stick with what uh, consumers are going to have to use. Um, you know, core backbone of the economy, banking. Um, you know, uh, telco, uh, technology. That that's those are probably the safest bets. But uh, I don't think there's too many too many uh, completely safe options out there at the moment. Yeah,
1: sure. I mean, especially in the short term, but I was meaning more into the into the more medium term, but I, I think you kind of answered my question anyway, because um, what we're seeing right now is just putting a magnifying glass on, on, on what we're going into moving forward. Cars and stuff are going to recover um, as we start driving again, but I might not be in, into going to buy a new car as I was a few months ago. So, um, so it's just going to continue along the path that it is slowly recovering
0: yeah listen i don't think i don't think, uh, to your point I, I don't think there's going to be major shifts in how hard um this is hitting any particular industry i I don't, I don't see that shifting going forward. I think you'll see a gradual releasing of the uh the economy um so I guess our our, our alcohol and tobacco friends might be the first. <laughs> um just to create some economic stimulus and a bit of relief uh but uh you know then i, th- I see the sequence panning out but i think um everyone will be hit hard um you know a four percent contraction in gdp is is not good news in anyone's language mm.
1: just to kind of end off Hanson, we have chatted about this um, before, but I'd like to go into a little bit more detail in it and how it's affecting um, the commercial space, is um, what is the impact of junk status going to be on our economy? Um, it's kind of gone, taken the back seat of the news um, as the very unfortunate timing of our ground, of our downgrade or maybe it was fortunate i don't know but we're not really talking about that and the um the the impact of our um of our currency and our credits uh, and um then the impacts of inflation so can you just take us through um what's what the impact of junk is going to be on our business market
0: yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, junk status happened and, and it was barely a blip on the, on the news radar, um, which you know means that it didn't get the, the real attention it deserves. But I mean, as we spoke last time, essentially what junk status means is that the cost of servicing um, international debt uh, essentially will go through the roof. Um, and probably the hardest hit will be um, the government uh, in that there's been a, a massive um, uh, account deficit in terms of, the, of the, the, the the government is spending a lot more money than it's been reco- recovering through taxes and other mechanisms. And and that deficit has essentially been funded through international debt and government bonds. Um, so essentially what junk status means is that um, you know, certain investors who buy government debt are, are mandated by the structure of their portfolios uh, to sell off any debt that doesn't meet their criteria. Um, and junk status essentially means that the, those those bonds uh, have, have essentially had to be sold off into the market um, at a higher rate. So what that will mean is that government will have to spend a, a larger part of the fiscus to service that debt. Uh, which means that any um, government entity will find it uh, incredibly difficult to raise additional loans, um, and the cost of those will be so. Sur- uh, cost of servicing those loans will be higher. So I, I think there's a there's a couple of impacts of what they will mean. And I think last time we spoke about the impact on the consumer, and that government will have less money for the social safety nets, so social grants and the likes. UAF funding will be depressed. But if you start thinking about the other impacts in that government um, and parastatals and related entities will have less money for infrastructure-type projects, mm. and anyone involved in the local economy who's using similar funding mechanisms will also find it increasingly difficult to fund projects. So if we're looking at any sort of uh, infrastructural improvements, be it uh, roads or uh, property developments or anything of that nature where a large amount of CapEx is required and typically is funded through um, external markets you'll see a lot of those investments will, will essentially start drying up uh, as people focus on on maintaining the existing um, you know spend um, in, in other areas so you know a lot of our economy, you know is driven through those kind of if you think of the construction industry or any uh uh, you know telco industry all those kind of infrastructure projects you're just going to see less money being spent there um and the impact of that will be spread across the across the market right so that will that will create a a depressing effect to to all industries uh because it's the first link in, in in the chain so, a lot of that um, is what's driving that GDP contraction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the GDP contraction means consumer demand is suppressed. Uh, we also spoke about inflation hitting the 10% and consumer um, disposable income dropping from about 28% to 10%. So, essentially, if you're in that disposable um, income category where you are providing you know, anything other than the basic necessities, uh, you can expect a, a market contraction of up to two-thirds uh, as a combination of both COVID and the junk status. So, uh, you know, essentially it's been a perfect storm um, mm. for the South African economy. Um, you know, it couldn't have come at a worse time. But uh, but I think, you know, in that, you know, we mustn't forget the opportunities as well, right? Um mm. You know, I think uh, you know Warren Buffett basically says when when everyone else is running, you need to get in um, yeah. and invest in those things that everyone else is worried about. So I absolutely believe there's opportunities in the market, um, and it's the the smart consumer or the smart commercial investor who's going to understand where that white space is and and go after it. Um, and and I think you know a lot of what, what I'm talking to my clients about is. Well, if your consumers can afford less, how do you offer them something that's less, right? So before you wait for the involuntary churn, how do you lower your packages, lower your product costs? Um, you know, Just generally operate in a market where con- consumers can afford um, and basically target that that approach in that people won't stop buying things. They'll probably just buy the cheaper version of those things. And the people that are able to pivot in that space or I think uh, capture the market uh, in the most meaningful way.
1: And so now I'm going to ask you to look into your very intelligent crystal ball <laughs> and give us um, an idea of how long you see our, um, our economy in a recession for. How long do we need to wear our hard hats?
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, listen, I think, I think there's the optimistic scenario that says, you know, by 2021, uh, we can maybe bounce back um, to the same sort of economic situation that, that we find ourselves in post-COVID. Um, I think that's that's the optimism in me. And I think, you know, South Africans are a resilient bunch. We've faced a lot. Um, and we've, you know, we can, we can rebound. Um, on the other hand, though, and, you know, I think the 2008 was a 2008 financial crisis Was a good example of what not to do. So you know, in two thousand and eight, the you know we had the you know the banks um, essentially crumbling under the uh, under the subprime crisis in 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 the states, and I mean that obviously caused ripples throughout the global markets, and essentially the whole world went into recession. But the thing about South Africa is we we didn't look for the opportunities at, at that point. And while the rest of the world recovered, we stayed in a suppressed state at similar growth levels to what we saw in 2008. So while other economies globally were you know, getting back to their, uh, their normal boom times and their growth and bull markets and, and those kind of things, we kind of stayed where we were. Um, so uh, you know, I think the, you know, South Africans are a, can tend to be a pessimistic bunch and an apathetic bunch. Uh, but I would hope that we, we can see the bounce. Uh, I mean, with every other economy, I expect the bounce to happen. Uh, but as I said before, it's about you know, South African uh, business, SME, or even consumers looking into the market and saying, let me look at those opportunities. Mm. I think this is a great time uh, for SMEs, right? Um, you know, I think the, the there's going to be very little comfort and security in a salary. And it's it's uh, it's, a, it's maybe through necessity or perhaps through ingenuity and passion that South Africans start looking at the SME uh, option as, as, a, as a viable one for their future. Um, and by creating that economic engine room, I, I believe that the South African economy can bounce back in line with global standards or even beyond. But uh, we are going to have to shake off the apathy and, pe- and pessimism um, and, uh, my hope is, is that COVID in terms of creating a new more normal creates a, a new normal of a innovative bunch of entrepreneurs, um, who really try to make something in the market as we see it.
1: I love that. It's nice and positive to end our, to end our podcast. Thank you, Hans. It's uh, always a pleasure to have you on my show. I really appreciate you sharing all your wonderful insights and knowledge with us and uh, I'm sure we will get you back to um, have a chat as we start to understand the impact of uh, these uh, very unusual times on our economy moving
0: forward. Thank you for listening to the Property Wolf Podcast. We don't bite hard. So if you'd like us to cover a specific property-related subject, Drop us a line on cat at propertywolf.co.za. That's cat with a K and wolf with two O's.